Uh, greetings. Uh, you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. Uh, welcome. My name is Adam Draycott. I hope you're warm enough. It's great to be sharing this time together. This has been prepared for the 19th of June and our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 28. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. What a great prayer that is to start with. Uh, let's have a time of praise in response to that. protector of your people, grant us an unfailing respect for your name and keep us always in your love. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. We come to the ministry of God's word. And our Bible readings today come from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 
to 14. If you're reading in church, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 1 to 14. If you're on your own or, or reading it with uh, two or three people and you'd like to read beyond that, by all means, uh, feel free to read up to uh, verse uh, verse 18 would be good. It's a little bit longer though. Our psalm uh, is Psalm 32. And our reading from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 verses 52 to 58. Uh, as we come to the preaching of God's word, let me encourage you to do so with your Bibles open. Uh, we want to use this time really well. And the best way to do that, Bible open, follow along what, with what's being preached, test it to see if it's right, and, um, and be encouraged by what you find in the Scriptures. And it does help uh, to make... It helps, um, makes you feel like the time goes a bit quicker. Not that it does, but there it is. Um, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 to 20. Um, I'm going to pray. Father God, we ask for your help as we come to this passage of Scripture. Help me now uh, to be faithful, to be clear, and um, to, to be tr yeah, true to your word. And uh, we ask for the help of your spirit now to be at work opening our eyes to the truth of your word, the truth of ourselves, that we glorify you. Amen. Who knows what is good for me? Is it you? Do you know what's good for me? Are you the person that decides the good? Is it Carl? Koshi, do they know what's good for you? Is it mum? Do we sing, mother knows best? Is it your friends, your children? What about the pub test? Do blokes, probably mostly white middle-aged Anglo-Saxon blokes, who are on their way to being half-cut, let's face it, having had a few beers, are we to believe that they know best? Why do politicians ask that? Why do they ask about the pub test? Haven't they seen the ads? Do I drive home or do I get a bus? Hello? They dare ask, does it pass the pub test like, um, like they'd know? It's incredible when you really think about it. But again, the question remains, what is good for me? What is good for me? It was the confronting choice of the first humans. And we've been faced with this confronting choice every day since. And so chapter 6, verse 12. So who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow. Who knows the good? There it is. Now, chapter 7, verse 1. Here's something good. Apparently, it's a good name. A good name is better than fine perfume. Fine perfume symbolizes extravagant wealth. And your good name is still better than that which means your reputation is more important than wealth, so don't sacrifice your name for the lesser thing. But don't be precious about it either. Let me explain. Don't sacrifice your good name on account of a rebuke. Look at verse 5. It's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. It's better. 
But who on earth believes verse 5? Can you picture the parent instructing a child and the child or the children now uh, are blocking it out with the song la 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 or the teenager with the earbuds in their ears sorry i can't hear you mum sorry dad what 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 or adults what do they do are they just outright reject counsel and find others verse five who will Sing their song for them. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Rebuke a mocker, and they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Though verse 7, the wise don't always get it right, they're not immune to the threat of their good name either. Verse 8, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience is better than pride. It's true, closure is good. No one likes dirty air, surely. That unresolved, unsaid stuff that lingers uh, like a stench. Why experience dirty, toxic air when you can breathe in clear air, air that's been cleared? But that's the difference, isn't it, between patience and pride. Pride is all about me, my good name, my ego, whereas patience is something else. And so as we think about our good name, do we see the value of self-control here? Why is it that some people will throw their toys out of the pram at the first whiff of offence? Verse 5, the wise counsel says, oh, that's not wise. And so we deploy defences and pride kicks in and anger follows. And so we need to heed the warning. Verse 9. The warning, don't be quickly provoked in your spirit. Anger resides in the lap of fools. Now you might be thinking, oh, what about Jesus? Turned over the tables? His zeal was all about the Father, the Father's house, the Father's honour, the Father's name, John chapter 2. And it's this same Jesus who in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it is said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So there's a name, as you think about a good name. The name of Jesus is infinitely good and precious. No other name makes the Father known. No other name brings salvation. And so take the encouragement, as we just get started, to care about guarding and defending and proclaiming that name the name of our precious King and Saviour, Jesus. But we're still not done with verse 1, are we? We're just getting started. Uh, as we've considered what is good, who knows what the good is? It's interesting, as we come back to verse 1 in Ecclesiastes, you could think about Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. It's spelled out in the outline, if you've got it. I've been kind, so you don't have to flick in your Bibles. 
Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. Well, that sounds familiar. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. That's the proverb. And it sounds safe and clear and expected, predictable. But then have a look at Ecclesiastes. Is this what Ecclesiastes does? Look at verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. Okay, we've read that. Ready for the next line? The day of death is better than the day of one's birth. What? <laughs> who's frowning now and who's disturbed by that? It's kind of reads like what I might call an anti-proverb, if that's allowed. Um, it's like he starts with a typical familiar proverb and then BAM! He gives it a dark twist. A dark, he sticks in the knife of irony, if you like. And then we go, well, hang on, Adam, why, why does the teacher do that? Oh, is he critiquing Proverbs? Who wrote Proverbs? Was it a king called... Um, king Solomon wrote Proverbs. Have we met Solomon in Ecclesiastes before? And if that is true, is he critiquing Solomon again? Look, the other thing that's going on is that we can read a book like Proverbs... And, and we could think that life is neat and tidy and predictable and programmed. Like, you know, this, then that. That's the way the Proverbs go, isn't it? Character, then consequence. But Ecclesiastes, the teacher, won't have any of it. He'll, he'd rather come along and smack us in the face, I think. I think he's saying to us, Life under the sun isn't that simple and it's not that easy. The Proverbs, sure, they're true. They are, but not exclusively. Always, absolutely. Life doesn't happen in a vacuum. Life isn't straight. It's crooked. Look at verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what is crooked? We've met these words before. And so life under the sun doesn't always make sense. It can feel random. Now, here's a sidebar. You might be going, oh, Adam, you've just muddied up Proverbs for me. How am I supposed to read Proverbs? And the answer is, you read them as wisdom with an eye to Ecclesiastes. All right, so you hold the two together. The whole council of Scripture, this is called. Verse. Let's keep going, though. Verse 14, God has made the good days and... And the not good days is again you think about what is God good. God has made the good days and not and the not good days. Um, and again, then you go, well, hang on, hey Solomon, no one can discover anything about their future. Is that verse fourteen? And so it's almost again another critique. Hey Solomon, uh, who are you to know what is good? There are no guarantees about how things work out. Maybe that's going on. At the end of verse 14, verse 15, let me read it. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. Both of what? The righteous perishing in their righteousness. And the wicked, what? Living long in their wickedness? That's outrageous. That's not Proverbs. 
The righteous don't perish in Proverbs, the wicked do. And so again, you can see, hopefully, the teacher wants us to know life doesn't make sense. Life can seem unfair. And therefore, because we don't know, who knows what is good? Who can know what is good? It's bewildering. Life is inconsistent and unsettling and it's hard to grasp and it's crooked. If life is crooked, it means we are too. How about that? I don't know if you saw that coming, but just to clarify, when I say that you are crooked too, I'm not talking to those who are over the age of 85 years old. Hi, Mum. Mum turns 88 uh, this year. I'm not talking about that kind of crookedness. Um, think, I'm talking about a different kind, spiritual crookedness. See, think, do we have the capacity to make good, moral, wise decisions? Yes, yeah, we do. Uh, do we also have the capacity to make unwise, bad, immoral, even wicked decisions? And the answer is, is the answer yes, 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 we do, which makes us, it makes us inconsistent at best and erratic at worst. It means we're crooked. In, indeed, verse, chap, verse 20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who uh, does what is right and never sins. That's, that's Romans. That's right. You got it. We are reminded that sin and death is a problem under the sun. And so you think life is bewildering. Know that in your core being, we all are. We're all bewildering. And because that's true, well, verse 16 is tricky. Don't be overwise because no one likes a high and mighty know-it-all. Verse 17, don't be over-wicked, because that's a bad idea too. Um, verse 18, it's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. So own the fact, acknowledge your capacity for both wickedness and wisdom. You get it right and you get it wrong. Acknowledge that, hold them together, but put your energy into what? Not the extremes of wickedness, and wisdom, but put your energy into what? End of verse 18, what's the answer? Fear of God. That's the answer. Now, as you think about this, I want you to imagine Adam in the garden, not me, the other one from Eden. Yep, you got him. And he's thinking about good and bad. He's presented before him as a choice of wisdom and wickedness. That choice is before him, and now think, huh, if only he feared God. Imagine a God-first mentality. God's name first. Not my name, not my good name even. God's name. God's name first, and everything else is sorted, don't you think? But... We're not like that. We're actually like Adam. Me first. I decide the good and the not good. I know what's good for me, not God. 
and that's called sin and that is crooked and the net result is shame and nakedness and separation from God and curse and yet it's bewildering it's hard to fathom this life under the sun but remember we ask for it we ask for it and how does this life end it ends in death so what is good for a person in life then and it's not going the way of Adam I've got to say what is good is to fear God and to honor his name how are you going with that I want to have one more run at verse 1 we've had two runs at it now uh, let's go with another thought thread. How about that? Let me read verse 1. Eventually we'll get past it. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. If we follow this logic, if death is all that awaits us, then who on earth is going to care about a good name? I think that's what he's doing. Who cares about your good name? If death is a thing, who cares about your reputation? What does it matter? Because you're going to die. Verse 2. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Get this perspective. Now, what is a house of mourning? It's probably just the mourner's home. Um, not necessarily the, the funeral director's. Probably the mourner's home, where family and friends would gather to mourn someone's death. And the house of feasting is just a place where the celebration is happening, if, um, if that's the case. Why is it better to go to a funeral? Uh, presumably, that's where the body is, and so it's the literal destination of everybody. You're going there anyway. And it's a reminder. Death is our ultimate destination. I think the teacher's trying to say that. And he's saying that understanding this reality is actually good for us. You won't like that, but there it is. Verse 3, frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It's better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. The teacher is saying there is a way of living that is centred on feasting and keeping things happy and putting on a bright sunny face and putting positive spins on everything and to laugh and to sing as a way of papering over the real stuff of life, where you can somehow try to pretend the pain away. I mean, you, <laughs> you try bringing up the subject of death at your next dinner party. Why won't you do that? Well, the other classic example uh, is when there's a funeral and the family says, we don't want a funeral we don't know all the sad stuff. Such and such wants us to be happy, so we're going to celebrate. And we're going to have a party. 
And we want everything upbeat during the service. Don't even call it a funeral. And by the way, Grandma told us not to be sad, so we're not going to be sad. And lots of people, uh, they want this. And hear me very clearly, it is right to return thanks to God for someone's life. It is right to honour them. It is right and necessary. It's a crucial part of why we gather for a funeral. But at the same time, I want to say it's a mistake to deny reality. One cannot deny the true nature of things where we want to push reality to the margins by flooding the senses with sensations and distractions and noise and maybe even substances. The teacher is saying you can't forget the why. Someone died. Someone died. Chapter 3, verse 20, From dust they came, to dust they return. Through the doorway of death they depart. They're not coming back. And that is sad. And we need to reckon with that. We need to process that. We need to consider that. But some just want to ignore it. They want to bypass death, bypass grief, bypass the pain and take a, a shortcut somehow. Of course, the other growing option is to not have a service of any description and go to the pub, gather there for a time of self-medication. And what is drowned out? What is denied? Well, it's the quiet contemplation of life that would... Under the sun, this is what we need to be doing. This is what we are doing in Ecclesiastes. What else is denied is the healthy, appropriate grief that should follow. The teacher wants fools to wake up from their delusions, to get a grip on reality and to get why. And to see that there is a way of living that's centred on reality. We think it's good, the good is to celebrate. Celebration defines life, party like an animal to the end. The teacher says, get serious. Don't be shallow. Get some substance. Get real about life. Because one day it's going to end. I mean, if you think life should be one long party, well, then you're like verse 6. You're like the crackling of thorns under a pot. Uh, I'm in the car on the way to clergy conference. I go, hey, hey guys, what do you reckon verse 6 means? And Tinica pipes up. He says, well, the thorns are useless under a pot. Even as kindling, they don't last. They burn up too quickly. They're no good. They lack substance. And you get spiked for your trouble. Why bother? Good for nothing. Like the laughter of fools. Being shallow, like crackling thorns under a pot, denies the reality of death. Get serious about it. I mean, what is more confronting about death? Instead of facing it, 
We just try and avoid it. Why are people like this? Well, it's because people want to bypass death's sting. They don't want to taste it in any form. And they think the way to bypass uh, the sting of death is to bypass the gospel. That's the irony. Bypass that depressing churchy stuff. Bypass the destroyer of death. Bypass the very thing they need, uh, the very person they need, I should say, they bypass Jesus. Laugh, eat, drink, feast, self-medicate with pleasure, put on a happy face, ignore reality, get real. We know there's only one way for the crooked to bypass death's sting. There's only one way we can have victory over sin and death. Because there's no other name. <laughs> no one better. And his name is Jesus. So may we live like that is true. Like, do we see it in, the, in this passage? Who knows what is good for a person's life? Answer, Jesus. Jesus is the good. And it's only in Jesus that we cry. 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, crookedness, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And so there is a prayer. Here is the good. The good is Jesus. So stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Care deeply about his name. Because in the Lord, it's never for nothing. Amen.
In a moment, as you uh, think about coming into a time of prayer, there will be a blue screen with some prayer points on it. Please uh, take note of them and be encouraged by them. Of course, if you're watching from your own church families, you might pause and have a, a time of calling out prayer points uh, for the gathering to pray together. And Of course, if you're an individual watching this, you'll have your own. Uh, but nonetheless, the great encouragement uh, is to pray. Uh, come to the Father through faith in uh, the name of Jesus. Pray in the name of Jesus. That's a thing, isn't it? And be encouraged. Uh, also, uh, uh, if you'd like to uh, express your thanksgiving to God, not only through uh, the sacrifice of your lips or the sacrifice of your hands through work, and serving, uh, but with a sacrifice from your pockets, then uh, let me commend the last screen on this video to you that has information about direct debiting. But let me give thanks for that uh, because that's important for us to do. So please pray with me now. Father God, we thank you for your love to us. You have been so rich to us in our Lord uh, Jesus and we pray that uh, uh, we would use our resources to return thanks to you. 
that we would give in such a way that you are praised and glorified. Uh, help us here at St. Augustine's and wherever else we are as, a, as a, the body of Christ to use our resources well. It serves your kingdom, uh, sees it grow uh, wherever it is that we are. In, in Varel we pray, Father, grow your kingdom here. Grow our church family uh, so that you are glorified and the gospel is proclaimed. Uh, we ask for your help in all of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name, our King and Saviour. Amen.
the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you. But most of all, may the Lord grant you his peace. Amen.